0: May the words that are spoken here today have the power to echo through the years and carry inspiration and healing to the present and future of humanity and to our relationship with Mother Earth. To the Frederick Unitarian Universalist community, present and online family, friends, and future generations, we are glad that you are listening to this message. To listeners who are young, who are bridging into adulthood and even those who are not yet born, we hope one day you will connect with some of the ideas here and that they will have meaning in your lives. We owe you a better world. There is still so much to be done. And at a minimum, we owe you a Unitarian Universalist community that is doing its best to finish the work of building beloved community. I wanna thank Reverend Greg and the worship committee for inviting me to be with you today. Last month, we commemorated the anniversary of the Unitarian and of the Unitarian Universalist denomination. Established in 1819, 204 years ago. It's likely that every Unitarian Universalist minister has or will deliver a sermon on Reverend William Ellery Channing. And anyone who is leading or teaching in Unitarian Universalist space should know something about Channing, and I mean more than just his name. So I'm speaking to you today not as an ordained minister or theologian, but as a member of the community and a tireless, unapologetic activist for social and cultural change. Now, to understand where we are today and, is, and what is ours to do, we need a bird's eye view. So, we are going to reach back 204 years to widen our perspective by remembering Channing's famous sermon and a relationship that he had with Reverend Jared Sparks. You have, um, the, the members of our congregation in Baltimore have been keepers of the flame of this story and every year they commemorate this famous sermon, which was entitled Unitarian Christianity. It was Sunday, May 5th, 1819. The Baltimore church was new. It had just been dedicated the year before And Reverend Jared Sparks was to be installed as the first ordained minister. At the time, the church was named, and listen to the name, the first independent church of Baltimore. It was the first church in America that was solely built to be a Unitarian church. Did you know that? The, sermon, the service was a big occasion. Plans had been made to deliver a national message that would define Unitarian Christianity and the sermon would be published for the public. That Sunday sermon was intended to be, and it proved to be, a turning point that launched and established Unitarianism. Now, Reverend Jared Sparks had been inspired by Channing and mentored by him. And it's not enough just to mention Sparks as a new or young 30-something-year-old minister, because he would eventually go on to be elected as the chaplain of the US House of Representatives He was a historian and editor of a journal that was very influential in its time called the North American Review. He would go on to teach history at Harvard and eventually become the president of Harvard. So Jared Sparks is not just a mere mention, but Channing is the main character in this story. Channing was a well-known preacher, speaker, and a prolific writer. About a decade after this famous sermon, Alex de Tocqueville, a French statesman and author of two volumes on democracy in America, wrote that he saw Channing as, and I quote, the most celebrated preacher and most remarkable author of the present time in America. End quote. Channing was one of the leading voices among those Christians in the Congregationalist Church who took a more liberal approach to their religion. Their liberal beliefs were not welcome. (laughs) They were seen as a threat to Orthodox Christianity, and in particular to the Calvinist beliefs. These issues of different beliefs were contentiously debated, especially in New England for about 25 years before the sermon was done. And it was planned, it was a plan that William Ellery Channing would preach at Jared Sparks ordination, not only because of their relationship, but because Channing had very effectively argued in New England, making the case that distinguished liberal Christians from Orthodox Christians. So he was chosen to make this national statement in Baltimore as part of a plan to spread Unitarian Christianity south of New England. It was a bold, courageous move to put their beliefs out on the national stage. The plan was also to publish the sermon, and we hear that it was one of the most widely sold publications up until 1840. Channing clearly stated that the liberal approach to Christianity was supported by reasoning, and he, he did that in contrast to Orthodox Christian beliefs. He also fully embraced the Unitarian identity, which had previously been used to stigmatize the liberal Christians for departing from the teachings of the church. So Unitarians believed in the unity of God and they did not believe in the Trinity, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were separate beings. Unitarians believed in a loving, compassionate God and that people were born with the spark of the divinity in them and the capacity for goodness. They did not believe that people were born in original sin and depravity and that they could only be saved by God. It also followed that they did not believe that Jesus was the son of God, but that he was between man and God and his life was to teach people how to be moral beings. To quote Channing, his words, Jesus Christ is the only master of Christians. Whatever he taught, we regard as divine, of divine authority, and profess to make the rule of our lives," end quote. They believed that human beings were given conscience and the ability to reason, and that that reason should not be suspended when reading the Bible or interpreting other religious doctrine. They believed that the Bible was written for men in a specific time and region. And when reading for meaning and interpretation, one needed to take that into consideration, as well as knowing something about the person who was interpreting the scripture. In the sermon, he said, I quote, we reason about the Bible precisely as civilians do about the Constitution under which we live, by inquiring into its general spirit, into the intentions of its authors, and into the prevalent feeling the prevalent feelings, impressions, and circumstances of the time when it was framed. Without these principles of interpretation, we frankly acknowledge that we cannot defend the divine authority of the scriptures." End quote. And he pushed back against the supremacy of Christianity, saying it was unqualified to say of Christians, quote, that they possess all things, know all things, and can do all things, end quote. So what was the United States like in 1819 when this was going on? We need to have a sense of that in order to see one way that Channing's sermon is significant to where we are today. In 1819, there were only 22 states in the United States. 11 of the states were free and 11 were slave states. Florida was purchased in 1819. And there was the Missouri Compromise of 1819, which was said to be the precursor to the Civil War. It was an intense debate about whether or not Missouri could be created as a slave state. The US Congress passed the Indian Civilization Act of 1819, also known as the Civilization Fund Act of 1819. It was said to be intended to prevent the extinction of Indian tribes. It actually led to the residential boarding schools. Now, the point here is that the United States was rapidly growing. And Western expansion was causing conflict, the eradication of cultures, the separation of families and communities, the depletion of nations, death, and loss of lands and resources for American Indians and other peoples around the globe. Expansion into Western North America was creating a growing demand and dependence for the labor of enslaved people, primarily of African descent. The numbers of enslaved people in the United States increased from over 1.1 million around 1819 to 3.9 million by the time of the Civil War, 42 years later. Only 42? And that was 1861. And about a decade, this was all about a decade before the 1830 abolitionist movement and a decade before the Trail of Tears. The United States was a country at the height of growing a European-American culture, a worldview, industries and wealth juxtaposed to some of the most cruel and dehumanizing conditions and oppression of non-European and non-Christian people. And this was state and church sanctioned. Channing's 1819 sermon was a liberatory message for liberal Christians who were choosing a different future. But the plight of black, indigenous, and people of color in this country was getting worse and around the globe, actually. What if more of the Orthodox Christians chose to apply reason to what the church was teaching at that time? Where might we test this idea of reason to Christianity? One need look no further than the doctrine of discovery for an example. Channing published a book entitled Slavery in 1831. And the opening lines to his introduction were, I quote, the first question to be proposed by a rational being is not what is profitable, but what is right. If we inquire first for our interest and then for our duties, we shall certainly err. We can never see the right clearly and fully, but by making it our first concern." End quote. So we had to step back a little bit into 1819 to see what the world was like when Channing preached his sermon. But in order to grasp the magnitude of what was going on, We have to step back even further for a broader bird's-eye view. The story of the United States cannot be understood without including and understanding the role that the doctrine of discovery played in the colonization of this country. The doctrine of discovery is a set of decrees issued by popes that authorized Europeans to colonize any non-Christian lands around the world. Now we talk about original sin as a theological belief that people were born into sin. And many people in more contemporary times believe that the original sin in the United States is racism. In fact, some Unitarian Universalist ministers argued this point earlier in our anti-racism work because of the Unitarian Universalist theological position uh, about not believing in original sin. In the past couple of months, I have shifted. I now believe that the original sin in America is the doctrine of discovery. Here are the words from the doctrine issued by Pope Nicholas V in 1452. So this was something called the papal bull. It's part of the doctrine. This also became international law. I quote directly, we grant you with our apostolic authority full and free permission to invade, search out, capture, and subjugate the Saracens and pagans and any other unbelievers and enemies of Christ, wherever (sighs) they may be, as well as their kingdoms, duchies, counties, principalities, and other property. And to reduce their persons to perpetual servitude. End quote. In 1454, another papal bull updated this to include all movable and immovable goods, and it changed perpetual servitude to perpetual slavery. So let's listen to those words again, because this is what so many of us are missing. And I think that this is what stands in between us and being able to build just inclusive communities. I quote, we grant you, with our apostolic authority, full and free permission to invade search out, capture, and subjugate the Saracens and pagans, and any other unbelievers and enemies of Christ, wherever they may be, as well as their kingdoms, duchies, counties, principalities, and other property, and to reduce their persons, and to perpetual servitude, updated to perpetual slavery. This is the original sin. Committed by the Christian church and authorized Europeans to violate any country and people without guilt without respect for human rights, human dignity, and property rights. This is the most destructive, historical, global act of humankind. It caused harm to people around the world, especially to black, indigenous, and people of color. It asserted white supremacy and Christian supremacy. Now to say that racism is the original sin just doesn't go far enough anymore. The Christian church set up a world ideology that gave Europeans the belief that they were entitled to power, ownership, and control of anything that they wanted. That ideology continues. It hasn't gone away. The beloved community is a part of the antidote to this. And this is our work to do. And it should be the work of successive generations until we get this done. We should never let up. If we want to understand how to build the beloved community, we must face. What put us in this situation? Now, I have to thank Dave Wyman, who is a member of the UU Church in Santa Fe, New Mexico, for the work that he is doing to help us to understand the doctrine of discovery. And when he gave his presentation to the Eighth Principal Learning Community in March, I was so troubled that I wanted to get up and leave the room But I couldn't because I was running the meeting. (laughs) It was so hard. It was so hard. But preparing this sermon has been a healing experience for me because I found a way to put it together. Now, we know that Pope Francis denounced the doctrine of discovery in March, uncanny timing here, in an effort to reconcile with indigenous people in Canada. Well, that's good, but if most people know little or nothing of what the doctrine of discovery is about, we are and we will miss a tremendous opportunity to bring healing to the wider human family. The doctrine of discovery must be taught to Unitarian Universalists. And it should be taught to all people who live in the United States. I actually think it should be taught in schools around the world, and it may be. I don't know, but we need to learn it. Georges Aramis, uh, an aboriginal leader from Canada, said, quote, where common memory is lacking, where people do not share in the same past, there can be no real community. Where community is to be formed, common memory must be created." End quote. So today I find myself listening to a, a number, quite a few now, of people who seem to be part of a growing movement away from Orthodox Christianity. And it's interesting to hear these people who are applying reason to their reading of the Bible and other doctrines, and they are deconstructing and reconstructing their religious beliefs and liberating themselves from Orthodox Christianity. Their discussions sound very similar to the discussions that were being held by Unitarians in 1819. What if more people had done it then? Some of these people are even calling themselves universalists. It's fascinating. I wonder, if the liberal approach to Christianity had been dominant, how might we be different as a nation? What if Christians had applied reason to their moral arguments following 1819? Would this have affected not only land acquisition, But would it have affected the way we see each other and relate as human beings? If they were encouraged to use reason rather than self-interest, would they have chosen a future of right over profit? At what point might they have called the church into accountability? They really could, they really could have chosen a different future. Why has it taken us so long to heal from past wrongs? So much of what we have witnessed and experienced throughout our lives is part of the ongoing effort to resolve the predicament that we find ourselves in from a history that is not well known, and certainly one that is still unreconciled. We have all participated in this dynamic, whether through our engagement or through our indifference. We choose the future. It's almost that simple. We choose the future. We Unitarian Universalists choose the community. And at this moment in Unitarian Universalist history, we are at another turning point where we will transform the future. This moment for us is not unlike 1819, when Channing's sermon defined the future of Unitarianism. We, too, are defining the future of Unitarian Universalism in these current times. We are a covenantal community that values pluralism, in that we don't all believe the same thing. We do not have religious creeds, but we do share values and covenants. Our president, Reverend Susan Frederick Gray, told us that, I quote, this is no time for a casual faith. As Unitarian Universalists, we are first and foremost religious communities that practice love as our foundation. We are living in times of heartbreak, violence, and pain. And in this time, we need communities that remind us of our humanity. We are living in a time of tremendous opportunity and needed change and the health and strength of our communities and our commitment to this theology of love and justice and interdependence is crucial," end quote. So I invite us into a stronger unity, a deeper healing, and a greater sense of our ability to transform ourselves and a piece of the world. I want to close with a responsive reading that you have in your order of service. And these are our proposed values and covenants. As I said, we are at that moment in our history where we have an opportunity to transform Unitarian Universalism for the future and for generations to come. As we read these words, listen, let's open ourselves to a larger collective voice, not our own individual voice. And if you really listen, you can hear the beloved community speaking, calling us to grow deeper and wider into the promise of Unitarian Universalism. I will read the black font. And if you will respond by reading the blue, our values and covenants proposed As Unitarian Universalists, we covenant congregation to congregation and through our association to support and assist one another in our ministries. We draw from our heritages of freedom, reason, hope, and courage, building on the foundation of love. Interdependence. We honor the interdependent web of all existence. We to cherish. Pluralism. We celebrate that we are all sacred beings, diverse in culture, experience, and theology. We have and to learn from one another in our free and responsible search for truth and meaning. We embrace our differences and commonalities with love, curiosity, and respect. Justice. We work to be diverse, multicultural, beloved communities where all thrive. We need to dismantle racism and all forms of systemic oppression. We support the use of inclusive democratic processes to make decisions. Transformation. We adapt to the changing world. Generosity, we cultivate a spirit of gratitude and hope. We come to us to freely and passionately share our daily presence and resources. Our generosity connects us to one another in relationships of interdependence and mutuality. Equity, we declare that every person has the right to flourish, with inherent dignity and worthiness, we covenant to use our time, with wisdom, attention, and money to build and sustain fully accessible and inclusive communities. Yes, we get to choose the future. Will we choose beloved community? Let us hope that future generations can choose Unitarian Universalism because we have demonstrated our capacity for healing and change. Let us hope that people who are being shaped by the wider world can choose a future with us. May it be so, and amen. amen. So now uh, we are going to sing a hymn from the Teal Hymnal. It is 174. And I want to give you an introduction to it. Um, Turn the World Around, which was made famous by Harry Belafonte. We know that he just passed not too long ago and that he was a tremendous, not only talent, but also activist for justice. And Belafonte said, I quote, these are all his words, I discovered that song in Africa. I was in a country called Guinea. I went deep into the interior of the country and in a little village, I met a storyteller. That storyteller went way back in African tradition and African mythology and began to tell the story about the fire, the sun, the water, the earth. And he was doing this with the Muppets, so you know, they start to cheer, right? And he, the storyteller, pointed out that the whole of these things put together turns the world around. That all of us are here for a very short time. In that time that we are here, there really isn't any difference in any of us if we take time out to understand each other. The question is, do I know who you are or who I am? Do we care about each other? Because if we do, together we can turn the world around." End quote.